This is The Space Shot, Episode 11, for May 25th, 2017. John F. Kennedy, Part 1. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Mulnix. As you probably noticed, today's episode is longer than normal. That's because I wanted to include audio from the speech that President Kennedy gave to Congress on this day in 1961. But before we dive into Kennedy's urgent national needs speech, I want to touch on a few historical events that happened on this day. On this day in 1973, Skylab 1 launched, and I'll be covering that mission in more detail over the coming weeks since the crew of Skylab 1 spent 28 days in space. On this day in 1972, NASA research pilot Gary Cryer demonstrated the first digital fly-by-wire system, which is now used in modern aircraft like the Boeing 777 and other advanced commercial and military aircraft. Finally, on this day in history, in 1977, Star Wars A New Hope was released in theaters, and it would become on to be a pop culture icon that has now spanned seven saga movies, with another one releasing this fall, a standalone film, Rogue One, that was released last year, and hundreds of episodes of animated shows. Also on this day in 1983, Star Wars Return of the Jedi was released in theaters. At some point in the future, I'll record a series of pop culture-focused episodes, but today I want to talk about JFK's speech that he gave in 1961. President Kennedy gave his speech just 20 days after Alan Shepard was launched on his suborbital flight in his Freedom 7 capsule. The United States had a manned spaceflight experience of 15 minutes and 28 seconds when Kennedy decided it was critical for the United States to become a leader in outer space. Finally, if we are to win the battle, that is now going on around the world between freedom and tyranny. The dramatic achievements in space which occurred in recent weeks should have made clear to us all, as did the Sputnik in 1957, the impact of this adventure on the minds of men everywhere who are attempting to make the determination of which road they should take. Since early in my term, our efforts in space have been under review. With the advice of the Vice President, who is Chairman of the National Space Council, we have examined where we are strong and where we are not, where we may succeed and where we may not. Now it is time to take longer strides, time for a great new American enterprise, time for this nation to take a clearly leading role in space achievement, which in many ways may hold the key to our future on Earth. For the rest of today's episode, I'm going to play the remainder of the audio from the speech that Kennedy gave. Tomorrow, we'll talk more about the ramifications of this speech and what happened in the years after. Enjoy the rest of the speech. I believe we possess all the resources and talents necessary, but the facts of the matter are that we have never made the national decisions or marshaled the national resources required for such leadership. We have never specified long-range goals on an urgent time schedule or managed our resources and our time so as to ensure their fulfillment. Recognizing the head start obtained by the Soviets with their large rocket engines, which gives them many months of lead time, and recognizing the likelihood that they will exploit this lead for some time to come in still more impressive successes, 
we nevertheless are required to make new efforts on our own. For while we cannot guarantee that we shall one day be first, we can guarantee that any failure to make this effort will make us last. We take an additional risk by making it in full view of the world. But as shown by the feet of astronaut Shepard, this very risk enhances our stature when we are successful. But this is not merely a race. Space is open to us now, and our eagerness to share its meaning is not governed by the efforts of others. We go into space because whatever mankind must undertake, free men must fully share. I therefore ask the Congress, above and beyond the increases I have earlier requested for space activities, to provide the funds which are needed to meet the following national goals. First, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. No single space project in this period will be more impressive to mankind or more important for the long-range exploration of space, and none will be so difficult or expensive to accomplish. We propose to accelerate the development of the appropriate lunar spacecraft. We propose to develop alternate liquid and solid fuel boosters, much larger than any now being developed, until certain which is superior. We propose additional funds for other engine development and for unmanned exploration, explorations which are particularly important for one purpose which this nation will never overlook, the survival of the man who first makes this daring flight. But in a very real sense, it will not be one man going to the moon. If we make this judgment affirmatively, it will be an entire nation, for all of us must work to put him there. Secondly, an additional $23 million, together with $7 million already available, will accelerate development of the Rover nuclear rocket. This gives promise of someday providing a means for even more exciting and ambitious exploration of space, perhaps beyond the moon, perhaps to the very end of the solar system itself. Third, an additional $50 million will make the most of our present leadership by accelerating the use of space satellites for worldwide communication. Fourth, an additional $75 million, of which $53 million is for the Weather Bureau, will help give us, at the earliest possible time, a satellite system for worldwide weather observation. Let it be clear, and this is a judgment which the members of the Congress must finally make, let it be clear that I am asking the Congress and the country to accept a firm commitment to a new course of action, a course which will last for many years and carry very heavy costs, $531 million in fiscal 62, and an estimated seven to nine billion dollars additional over the next five years. If we are to go only halfway or reduce our sights in the face of difficulty, in my judgment, it would be better not to go at all. Now, this is a choice which this country must make, and I'm confident that under the leadership of the space committees, 
of the Congress and the appropriating committees that you will consider the matter carefully. It is a most important decision that we make as a nation. But uh, all of you have lived uh, through the last four years and have seen the significance of space and the adventures in space. And no one can predict with certainty uh, what the ultimate meaning will be of mastery of space. I believe we should go to the moon, but I think every citizen of this country, as well as the members of the Congress, should consider the matter carefully in making their judgment, to which we've given attention over many weeks and months, because it is a heavy burden, and uh, there is no sense in uh, agreeing uh, or desiring that the United States take an affirmative position in outer space unless we are prepared to do the work and bear the burdens to make it successful. If we are not, we should decide today and this year. This decision demands a major national commitment of scientific and technical manpower, materiel and facilities, and the possibility of their diversion from other important activities where they're already thinly spread. It means a degree of dedication, organization, and discipline, which have not always characterized our research and development efforts. It means we cannot afford undue work stoppages, inflated costs of material or talent, wasteful interagency rivalry, or a high turnover of key personnel. New objectives and new money cannot solve these problems. They could, in fact, aggravate them further unless every scientist, every engineer, every serviceman, every technician, contractor, and civil servant gives his personal pledge that this nation will move forward with a full speed of freedom in the exciting adventure of space. In conclusion, let me emphasize one point. It is not a pleasure for any president of the United States as I'm sure it was not a pleasure for my predecessor, to come before the Congress and ask for new appropriations which place burdens on our people. I came uh, with, uh, to this conclusion uh, with some reluctance. But in my judgment, this is a most serious time in the life of our country and in the life of freedom around the globe. And it is the obligation, I believe, of the President of the United States to at least make his recommendations to the members of the Congress so that they can reach their own conclusions uh, with that uh, judgment before them. You must decide yourselves as I have decided. And I am confident that whether you finally decide uh, in the way that I have decided or not, that your judgment as my judgment is reached on what is in the best interest of our country. conclusion, let me emphasize one point, that we are determined as a nation in 1961 that freedom shall survive and succeed. And whatever the peril and setbacks, we have some very large advantages. The first is the simple fact that we are on the side of liberty, and since the beginning of history, and particularly since the end of the Second World War, liberty has been winning out all over the globe. A second great asset is that we are not alone. We have friends and allies all over the world who share our devotion to freedom. May I cite, 
May I cite as a symbol of traditional and effective friendship the great ally I am about to visit France. I look forward to my visit to France and to my discussion with the great captain of the Western world, President de Gaulle, as a meeting of particular significance, permitting the kind of close and ranging consultation that will strengthen both our countries and serve the common purposes of worldwide peace and liberty. Such serious conversations do not require a pale unanimity. They are rather the instruments of trust and understanding over a long road. A third asset is our desire for peace. It is sincere, and I believe the world knows it. We are proving it in our patience at the test ban table, and we are proving it in the UN, where our efforts have been directed to maintaining that organization's usefulness as a protector of the independence of small nations. And these, and these and other instances, the response of our opponents has not been encouraging. Yet it is important to know that our patience at the bargaining table is nearly inexhaustible, though our credulity is limited, that our hopes for peace are unfailing, while our determination to protect our security is resolute. For these reasons, I have long thought it wise to meet with the Soviet Premier for a personal exchange of views. A meeting in Vienna turned out to be convenient for us both, and the Austrian government has kindly made us welcome. No formal agenda is planned, and no negotiations will be undertaken. But we will make clear America's enduring concern is for both peace and freedom. Thank you for listening to The Space Shot. Now that the show is available through iTunes, I would be thrilled if you could write a review. Be sure to share the show on Facebook, Insta, Twitter, everywhere you connect with your friends and family. I appreciate everyone listening and reviewing the show online. Thank you very much for tuning in every day. I'm really looking forward to bringing you more episodes each day for the next year. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.